Good morning. Um, I'm pumped. Are you pumped? I um, told you it's going to be do- new this year. Amen. Different this year. Um, and I'm so excited to be here with you guys this morning. I'm so excited you guys made it out. Um, hopefully everybody else is at home and not sitting in the car off the road anywhere. Um, but uh, man, such an amazing thing to be here with you guys this morning. Um, if you've got your Bible, we're going to be in First Peter two. Um, if I lose it, this is a new Bible. It looks exactly like my old Bible, which is amazing, but it's a new one. Um, but man, it's uh, kind of just to be honest with you, and I'm going to post this later, I think, but it's sad not to have my old Bible up here this morning. Um, I'm thinking about just bringing him and putting him somewhere. Um, <laughs> um, but man, that Bible has been with me every time I've stood and taught uh, from the moment I stood to teach. And uh, this is a, a new day, um, but it's weird, it's a book. Um, it's not a book, um, but uh, man, he's falling apart. Um, <laughs> he, um, I knew it was time at Passion when one of the pages fell out and he kind of got stepped on. Um, now it's got a hole in it, um, so I can't read James for you anymore because James is incomplete at the moment. Um, but I'm going to post something later. Um, man, that's what a Bible's supposed to look like, right? Amen. Just run it till it's done. Um, it's got sweat stains on the pages. I know that's gross. Um, <laughs> it's crinkled up and it's folded over. But man, I feel like I loved that book well. Because you can see the scars where it's walked with me. Um, and it's sad that I'm not here with it this morning. Um, but man, that's, that's what I've been praying. God, that you'd help me to love your word uh, in that way. Our Bibles are not little trophies we carry around. They're supposed to be perfect and clean and uh, just spotless. But man, they're they're meant to be well-worn. Amen. And uh, if I could give you any, and it's amazing, uh, this is the morning this happens. God's not a God of coincidence. Um, but if I could give you any advice uh, for your life, it'd be to love that book well. Um, that you, you would love your Bible. Um, that you would read it and cherish it. I know that sounds silly, but... Um, and I'm going to jump ahead in the message and maybe kill the closing point, but maybe this is the closing point. Um, it says in John that Jesus is the word, and it's really hard to love Jesus if you don't love your word. Amen. Amen. They're the same. They're not separable. Um, and this morning, uh, we're going to be in First Peter uh, chapter 2, and that's kind of the launching point, I guess, this morning. Um, Last week we were here and we said that this is going to be a year of stretching out our tent pegs, amen? That this is the year that we're going to, we're going to throw out all the fabric we got and we're going to stretch out all the rope we got and we're going to drive our pegs deep into the ground. And at the end of the year, if we've done that, I believe that God will respond uh, with filling up that tent, Amen. It says in, in, in uh, Isaiah 54 that we read last week, not to hold back. Do you feel like you've been holding back? Do you? Let's just be honest this morning with God. Do you feel like you've been holding back? Like there's maybe just a little more, that there's maybe just something deeper, there's something under what we've been given. We've been given maybe some sweat, but maybe not any blood um, this morning. And, and man, that word in Isaiah 54 says not to hold back, to just stretch the tent post out right and to expand all the fabric and to expand all the rope we're not saving anything and here's what I believe in faithfulness this morning is if we'll do that God will respond in a way that sitting here today 
Um, and sitting here on the same day next year, we're going to have our jaws wide open. And we're going to be like, oh my gosh, I did not know this is what you meant, Jesus. I didn't even know you could do this. I didn't even know this was a possibility. I didn't even know this was a, a thing. And the flip side of that is if we spend every dollar we have and we cannot pay our lot bill and God shuts it down, but we minister to the world, that's called success. Amen. Amen. A name is not success. What God does through us, that's what success looks like. And um, we're going to talk about this morning just a continuation of stretching out those ropes and not holding back. See, the truth of it is, as a church, man, we could go and we can do all kinds of things and we could choose to not hold back. But individually, if you sitting out there in that chair, if you're keeping all this stuff up for yourself and you're holding back, the truth of it is, man, the church can't go. One person, two people, 15 people, we can't push this cart up the hill. We need each other. And this morning, where we're going to start at is the idea of not holding back individually. And we're going to do that in First Peter uh, chapter 2. This letter is the first letter written to the churches by Peter. He writes it to the churches of, uh, I think in verse 1, it says Phrygia, uh, Cappadocia, Galatia, uh, the churches of Asia Minor is who he's talking to. And um, I don't know what an Asia Minor is. It sounds like something you do in college. Um, but I looked it up because I do know how to use Google. Thank you, college. And Asia Minor is the kind of eastern section of Turkey. It was part of the Roman Empire at the time, not Jewish-controlled um, territory, but Roman-controlled uh, territory. And this would have been churches filled with people that were not originally Jews, people that weren't originally uh, children of this promise. And he writes this letter to these churches, these people, in a time of suffering. And the moment he writes this letter, the churches in uh, Asia Minor have just come under persecution. It's crazy, right? Maybe looking back on our history this last year. Um, but it's churches that have just come under this, this persecution, churches that have just come under this idea that just for being Christians... Um, they're not going to fit in in this world. So the people around them, the people outside of the church, and even the Roman government at the time uh, was coming against these churches. And this letter was written from a perspective of, I know you're under persecution, but this is no strange thing to the Christian life. That's the mentality that he plows into this letter with. You have to imagine a group of people that have been outside of Christianity or maybe never experienced persecution. When this started happening, they were thinking, man, God's left me, right? We're supposed to be the church. We're supposed to be God's people. We're supposed to be the people that he loves and calls by his name and he died for. Why would he let us go through these things? You ever been there? And these are the same questions these churches were asking. And Peter writes this letter to say, A, everybody suffers. Outside of the church, suffering is a thing. Inside of the church, suffering is a thing. Everybody suffers. And, and when you're a Christian, man, suffering is going to come in, in a bigger wave because now not only are you going to suffer kind of from the perspective of the world, but you're going to suffer from the perspective of now all hell is against you. And he writes with this message on his heart, endure, keep going, don't quit, don't give up. You're running towards the finish line and the race is not over and you got to get to the end of this thing. And this is the message of this letter. 
But not only that, the message is, man, as we run, Jesus is changing us. That Jesus is using the very thing that you look at and you think, man, this is the most evil thing that could happen to me. This is the worst thing that could happen to me. This is, this is horrible. Jesus is using those very things to mold us into the very image of Jesus. Amen. God uses our suffering. Let me read it to you this way, Romans 8. All things work together for the good of those that love him. Amen. That's the word of God. I don't know what you're going through this morning. I have no idea what, what, what's shaping in you or roaring in you this morning. But what I know is what the word of God says is all those things, no matter what it is, God can use it for the good of those that love him or don't run those that endure. And this is the perspective of this letter. And inside of this letter, because he's very interested in our sufferings that were molded, he writes something in verse one of chapter two. He says, so rid yourselves of all wickedness, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Can you imagine hearing this? I'm in suffering the world's falling apart around me. It feels like life is over. I used to be this, and man, my life used to be amazing, and I used to have stuff, and I used to have wealth, and I used to have friends, and I used to have, just put your name on it, put whatever you want to on there. I come to know Jesus, and everything now is falling apart, and people hate me just because I go to church, and it's really weird, and I don't know how to deal with that. They want to kill me just because I go to church, and that's really weird, and I don't know how to deal with that. And then in this letter, the thing you choose to write to me is, rid yourselves of these things. And I needed some like, keep running, keep going, keep, you know, push, push in there. I needed some endure, I needed some of that stuff. And you choose to, in that middle of this, drop these rules to me. That doesn't even sound right, does it? See, the truth is, Peter knows that, man, in these moments that we're suffering, that's when we're finding fires of God are burning around us, and he drops this truth in, and he says, so rid yourselves of all wickedness, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. I love that. What I love about that the most is, though, what he doesn't say. What he doesn't say is, now pray about getting rid of this thing, this thing, this thing, this thing, right? You know, just ask God, throw all the weight to God, and like if, if, if God does it, it's amazing, and if he doesn't, just keep living in it, because obviously it's not his will to change it if he doesn't give you the desire to change it, right? How do you know that? Because <laughs> I've been there, right? We make excuses. What he doesn't say is, pick out the ones that are easy for you, and then start snipping those out. Don't worry about the rest, right? What he doesn't say is, hey, just kind of go about your business because it's hard work and just let somebody else do the other stuff. You're fulfilling your responsibility. You're in persecution and you're coming to church. You're doing your thing. You're doing enough, right? He doesn't say any of that. He says, actually, because of the fact that Jesus died on the cross, that's the therefore. Because of the fact that Jesus is raised from the dead, because of the fact that Jesus is pushing you around the cross, you don't have to go through the cross, you get to go around the cross, and because he's pushing you around the grave, you don't even get to go in the grave, you go around the grave, and because he's pushing you up into the heavens, uh, man, this is our response. Because of those things, he says, rid yourselves. He doesn't say, pray about it. You don't have to pray about it. God's word says to do it. 
Oh, God, if this is your will. No, it is his will. He wrote it down. That's why it's on there. <laughs> oh, God, if you really want this. No, he does really want it. That's why it's on page whatever this is. It's not the same in your Bible anyway. That's why he put it in here. What he actually says is, therefore, because I already did the hard stuff, right? I already did the cross. You don't have to do the cross. Therefore, because I already was buried, they already put me in the hole. That was, I already did the hard stuff. You don't have to do that. Therefore, because I already rose up from the dead, you can't even do that in your wildest imagination on your own. You can't do that, but I did that. Because I already did the hard stuff and the impossible stuff, I want you, this is him writing here, to roll up your sleeves and to engage in the hard work of ridding yourselves or getting rid of these things. You know why we don't see it? Because it's hard. If it wasn't, man, everybody would be doing it, right? Ah, uh, man, just shed that thing. Don't worry about that thing. Don't do that thing. It's hard to get rid of this because this is naturally who we are. Let me, let me let you in on what God wants us to rid ourselves of. Uh, first is uh, wickedness. That's uh, ill intent for someone else, evil intent or ill will for someone else. It's looking at someone else and wanting something bad or wishing something bad on their life. And the word of God in First Peter chapter 2 says, stop that. You're the church. It doesn't even make sense that you'd want something bad for someone else. That doesn't, in, in light of the cross, that doesn't make sense, right? He, go, he goes on. He says, and, and all deceit. All deceit is, is lying. And it, the definition of lying is very specific. One is hiding things. It's weird. And the other is misleading someone. And it says that as people of God, we have to rid ourselves of deceit because it doesn't make sense. If you say that you follow the truth, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and he's in you, then the truth should also likewise be in you. He says, get rid of that. It doesn't make sense for the church. Rid yourselves of wickedness and deceit. And it goes on, it says hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is just living in a way that's against what you believe, right? So I believe in God and I believe who he is and I believe he changes people and I believe that he is love, like the definition of, I believe he's a very heartbeat, he's a very breath and nothing in my life reflects that. That's hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is, I have said the prayer and I do go to church, but you'd never know it if you saw me on Tuesday. It's the very definition of hypocrisy. And he says, hey, that doesn't actually make sense for the church, so stop. Envy. And envy is to want something that's not yours, to be discontent, to, to look at something and be like, man, I, I, I want that. To not be content with what I have, but to be content with having what other people have. It's a, it's a jealous want. I see you have that, and it infuriates me that you have that. I, I long for that. And he says that doesn't actually make church sense for the church, so stop that. You say that God's your provider. You sing songs. He's a good, good father. Yet you want everything other guy's dad gave him. And you don't want what God's given you. It's like it doesn't, make, it doesn't actually make any sense, so stop. And he says, and uh, all slander. That's talking about someone else in, in, a, in a way that defames them, in a way that takes their knocks down their character a notch and someone else's eyes and it says that as the church we're not supposed to do that we're not supposed to talk 
about other people in a way that discredits them or takes down their reputation. That doesn't actually make sense for the church. So stop. Now here's what's crazy. This was written when? It's a few years after Jesus was walking on the earth and now back up into heaven, right? Paul was not a young man. He was not a little kid. He was on the planet and he was a rabbi at the point in time that Jesus died and was raised from the dead. And Peter walked with Jesus. These these are these same men. These are these same people. This man that walked with Jesus is writing this letter to the church, which means, man, this hasn't been a whole long time, right? And we're already seeing the definition of the church. What the church is marked by in these moments are are not the love of God. And Jesus even say that you'll people will know your mind by how you love each other. Yet here in this word, this is how the church loves each other. These are not those people out there in the world. These are these people sitting in the room. And he says, hey, church, hey, people that say you know Jesus, hey, people that have, have given your life to God. If you're going to be the church, if, if, if the cross really means anything to you and, and the empty tomb really means anything to you and that resurrection day really means anything to you, then you should reflect that. And a pretty good way to start is get rid of ill intent for each other because it doesn't make sense. Get, ri- get rid of deceit. It doesn't, it doesn't actually make sense. Get rid of hypocrisy. How many times have you heard somebody, I'm not going to church because it's full of This is, it doesn't actually make sense in the church. Get rid of envy. Get rid of slander. Yet, man, if we took a cross-section of, of, of your life and your encounters with church, how many of you have come across these very things in church or been these very things in church? See, the truth is, this is the human condition. This is, who, this is who we are. But the Bible says that we are a new creation in Jesus. And what Peter's saying here is, man, in light of the cross, in light of the fact that Jesus came here and he died for you, and you say you know that, in light of the fact that you've been given grace, in light of the fact that God has given you his very word, his very breath on this page, in light of the fact that he's your provider and he's your father and he's already given you life and eternity, in light of those things, man, how can you even begin to act this way? Let me, let me fill you in because it's hard to not act this way. And most of us quit trying because it's just us. It's how God made us. What a cop out. God didn't make us that way. The garden did. Amen. He says, if you're going to be the church, if you're going to be salt and light to this planet, then you can't be the same old kind of salt as those people. Amen. Can you imagine hearing this as this church? 
Peter, I don't know where you're at, but here in Phrygia, it sucks. <laughs> and I have bigger things to worry about than ill will. Like, they are trying to kill me. I have ill will. <laughs> That's how that works. And he goes, not with the cross. See, can you imagine hearing this and then every excuse you could ever make pops in your head, ever make pops in your head. I mean, that's not encouraging. I want some encouragement. I want to know, man, the best days are, I love that part. Go back to that part. I don't want to know how I can be more like Jesus. I am suffering. Today, it's not about being more like Jesus. It's about, man, I'm suffering and I'm just sitting here in my suffering and I, I want you to lift me up out of my suffering. Do you not think there was that going on as this letter was read? Do you not think that's going on right now in this room? Man, I can't do that because of this thing. But they did. But I... See, the truth is, it's hard. Because we live in a fallen world and we've been wronged, amen? Like people have done stuff to us. We carry baggage with the stuff. We got bags and bags full of what's been done to us. Yet here Peter, for some reason, still feels it necessary to say to the church, rid yourself, get rid of, you do the work. Not, God, if you want me to, please get rid of envy in my life. I know he wants me to, it's right there. He'll help, I need to start the process. I need to just love people because Jesus loved me, right? I'm unlovable. Can we just come around that idea? You don't have to come around it for you, but you can come around it for me. I'm unlovable. But Jesus loved me anyway. He should have came with ill will, right? Jesus should have come with a bunch of nails and hung us all up. But he came and borrowed three and hung himself. So from that perspective, Jesus looks into the church and he says, what are you doing? How does that look like me at all? How does that show the world who I am at all? How does that even make sense that you sit around and you bicker and you're negative and you hate everything and you're always unhappy? You're supposed to be the happiest people on the planet. Like I am joy and I came down to you and I live in you. So you should be the most like joyous people on the planet. You should be filled with gratitude. If somebody spits in your subway, you should say thank you, walk out the door. You don't have to eat it, but you don't have to yell. Amen. Because what you are, what your life is, is a billboard right. of Jesus. And it doesn't matter how many excuses you got, it doesn't change that. Oh, I know I'm negative, but man, a lot of stuff's happened to me. And the world looks back at that and they're like, didn't you say Jesus died for you? But it's hard, right? Amen, it's hard. Can we, amen, it's hard. We could do like a little survey. Raise your hand if you're negative, don't do it. <laughs> right? Let's be Baptist, raise your hand in your heart. If you're too negative. <laughs> Raise your hand if you're in your heart if your joy doesn't reflect the joy that the cross should bring. Raise your hand in your heart if you're full of envy over other people's stuff. Man, I get this way. 
I look at other churches and what God's doing, and I'm like, man, I wish that was us. That's envy. Why am I bashing what God's doing here? That's what envy is. Looking at somebody else and saying, God, you're not doing enough in me. It's hard. And we all deal with it. But the amazing thing is, in verse 2, he gives us the way out. See, the truth of it is, you don't have to do it on your own. Amen? That's amazing. If I just, like, let you guys go right now, we'd all go, and we would not know what to do with that. We just beat ourselves up all week. Man, I'm so negative. Man, I suck at everything. I'm just going to go sleep. I'm not negative when I sleep. That's the best, that's the best moments. But luckily, God doesn't hang us out there. He leaves us and leads us into verse 2 through Peter. And it says, like newborn infants, desire, crave the unadulterated, undiluted spiritual milk. He looks at us and he gives us this list of don't this and don't that and don't this and don't that. And then he leads us into verse 2. And I just want to say, some of us would read this and we'd look at them like they're both commands, right? Don't do these things and love that milk. The first part is the command. The second part is the fulfillment of the command. If you want to do verse 1, you have to do verse 2. There's no way out of verse 1 except through the path of verse 2. We don't get to skip to 3. And he says, man, I'll just be honest, church. We're really bad at looking like Jesus. Amen. And that's when we say amen because that's true. You don't look like Jesus. I'm watching you. He says, church, we're really bad at looking like Jesus, but God's full of grace. And he gives us the grace of verse 2, which says, just like newborn babies, you got to crave or desire or hunger for or want deeply in you this unadulterated spiritual milk. What is that? It's the word of God. You know what that's not? Podcast. You can listen to every podcast on the planet. It's a guy talking around the word of God. That might be great but it'll never really change you. That's not solely come in a room and sit around a a message. That's deluded. My thoughts are in there. I try to not let them be, but they are. But God says, like newborn babies, we should crave, we should hunger for, we should cry out for, we should thirst for the undiluted spiritual milk that is the word of God. If you want to get out of looking like you and get into looking like Jesus, the vessel for that is the word of God is what he's saying. And he says you should want it just like a newborn baby wants milk. I love when God gives us pictures in the Bible because the truth of it is if I just read that, you'd be like, okay, I'll try to read my Bible more. Yeah. And you go home and at midnight you'd be like, man, I didn't read today. But he says like newborn babies we should crave the word of God. I've never really been around babies a whole lot, so I have to go through the vessel of Google. Um, all I know about babies on my own is they cry a lot, they eat a lot, they sleep a lot, and they use the bathroom a lot, right? That's all I know. And I don't want to be near most of those processes. 
I'd, I'd touch babies when they're old enough to hold their head up, and I'd never have changed one ever on the planet, and I'm, I'm okay with that. I don't need training classes, or uh, I don't want, don't bring me one, because I'm going to laugh and hand it right back. <laughs> um, I, I, I think I've maybe one time held a baby that, that can't hold its head up. I just feel like I'm going to break it. I just, I'm not smart enough to do whatever this is. I just feel inequipped, and I just, no thank you. Um, but I do know that, man, they, what they do is they eat and they sleep and they use the bathroom and they cry and the fourth one is connected to the other three because anytime one of those things has to happen, this thing always lets you know, right? And some of you guys are parents and you're like, that's true. Uh, you, man, sage, I'm a wise man. Um, <laughs> but what I figured out yesterday through Google is um, a baby has to eat every two to three hours like a newborn baby. <laughs> that's not just why you're awake, by the way. Every two to three hours. If you block that off on a clock, that's eight to 12 times a day. I wish I could eat eight to 12 times a day. <laughs> I never lost that. Um, but man, that, that's intense, right? Every two to three hours, this little machine starts screaming at you. And what it is saying is, it's been a long time since I've had food, right? It can't communicate that with words. It doesn't know the words to wrap around that. It can't be like, Mom, I would love some milk right now. That would be great. If you could just make me a little bottle, plug it in, I'll do my thing. Like, it can't communicate that, so it does. It just yells and screams violently sometimes <laughs> because it's so hungry just two to three hours later, it's crazy to me. It's so hungry. Man, this little thing thinks, if I don't eat right now, it's over for me. <laughs> and what Peter here is saying, man, that is, that's the picture. That's what it should look like around this book. Isn't that crazy? I mean, here's the reality. Uh, looked up surveys because, again, I like Google. Do you know that only 19% of the church that was surveyed, not this church, obviously, just the big church, Lifeway did this, only 19% of people that attend church read the Word of God daily. I mean, statistically, it's a pretty good odd that maybe one out of five of us read the Word every day. That's not two to three hours people that's once a day can I be honest most of us reading the Bible daily and I'm not knocking this because if this is where you are amen hallelujah I pulled out my app and looked at the verse of the day or I was scrolling through Instagram and somebody posted one of them cute pictures with the verse on it but that does not reflect a church that is starving for the word of God. And what Peter says in this moment to us is, man, you know when the, it's almost time for break time at work? And your body is saying, man, I, I need that snack or I, just, I need to get away from this for a second. What your body should be saying is, man, I have been away from this Bible for far too long. And I've been talking to people that don't really make me happy. I've been answering the phone and people have been cussing at me. 
And what I need right now is to hear what my father says about me. What it means is when you you wake up in the morning, you're not thinking, man, I gotta get this and I 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 gotta do all these things. It's, man, I woke up this morning and I'm just checking, Dad. What do you have for me today? What it means is, man, before you go to bed, you're thinking, man, I'm so hungry for what you want for me. I'm going to leave out what I want for me for just a few more minutes. I'm going to pour into you for a moment. What, what Peter's saying is here that our hunger for the word of God should supersede our desire for anything else, that we should actually crave the word of God, that, that you should be almost like an addict when you've been away from it for so long. Some of you guys have smoked and you're like, man, I know what it means to want a cigarette and I just, I'll have to get up and leave the room sometimes and just go get one of those. And he's saying it should be the same with this book or maybe greater. But how many of us have woke up in the middle of the night and thought, man, I, I'm awake and it's two and I don't know why, but man, I just, I want to hear from you right now. I know I'm tired, but man, you've, you woke me up. What'd you wake me up for? And Peter says, this is what it should look like with the word of God. That's what this book should look like. It's how it should reflect in us. It's a shame that, that, that 19 of percent of the church reads the Bible every day. It should be like 100% of the church reads the Bible every day. That's, that's the starting place. It should be like 19% of the church only reads their Bible two times a day. And we wonder why the world looks at us and they're like, man, the church is dying. We're dying because we're not eating. Man, the church is useless. Yeah, we are. So we have no idea what God has for us. Man, the church is, the church is getting old. That's for, that's, for, that's for past days. That's for Well, it probably is in its current state. See, the truth of it is, man, we're, eating, we're starving, not because God won't feed us, but because we won't feed ourselves. Can you imagine? How many, how many of you guys ate one time this week? Raise your hand, please. Only once. Well, we had seven days. Seven days and you did it once. What would you look like rolling up in here today if that was you? Now answer this. Why is worship not more powerful? Oh, he didn't pick out the right songs? No, because you're dead. Or hanging on. You're in like ICU right now. Why is the message not more powerful? Because you're in ICU. We gotta shock you. We gotta paddle you back to life just to get something in there. We gotta resuscitate you just to get you to breathe in some air for a moment. Why why is the church not doing more things? Because we're dead. Because we don't eat. It's like a baby. It's so unnatural. It's like a baby saying, No, thank you. I had my bottle this week. And Peter says, man, wouldn't it be amazing if the church would just cry out for God? The psalm says, the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul thirsts for you, the living God. It's not an issue of do I like to read or do I not like to read. It's an issue of do I want God 
to be real and present to me today? Or would I rather watch TV? Ow. Do I want God to be real and relevant to me today? Or would I rather listen to somebody tell jokes for 15 minutes while I'm on break? Do I want God to be real and relevant to me? Or would I rather live my life on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and leave out the creator of the universe? Maybe we'll get lucky. Maybe when we get to heaven, everything will be on Instagram. We don't want to experience you here, Jesus. We'd rather just look at someone else experience you. And Peter here says to this church, you know why you're hypocrites? Because you don't love the word of God. You know why you're full of evil intent? Because you don't love the word of God. You know why there's malice in your heart? You don't love the word of God. You know why there's envy in your heart? You know why you don't even know what you have from Jesus right now? Because you don't love the word of God. You know why it's so easy to talk about other people? Because you don't know what to say about God because you don't know much about him. Because you don't love the word of God. See, the truth is, if we want to be a church that is transformational in the community and the world, we have to be a church that says, I love your word and I will build my life on it. I love your word more than I love my thoughts. I love your word more than I love my feelings. And I know you say not to be a hypocrite, so I won't be anymore. If I said today, man, raise your hand if you think the word of God is powerful, you'd raise your hand. But we go home and we don't open it. That's hypocrisy at the deepest. And he says, like newborn infants, crave, like you're addicted to it, desire above everything else, the undiluted, unwatered down word of God. And he says this, so that you, listen, may grow by it in your salvation. Not so you may be saved, but so you may grow by it in your salvation. You know why I love this? Some of you guys, when you come down here and you prayed a prayer, thought it was the end, right? You come and you gathered down on this mat and you like buried your face on something and you prayed this prayer, God, I want you to save me. And you thought this is the climax of the spiritual life. This is the moment, like this is it. This is everything. And it was amazing, wasn't it? And you still remember, man, you felt different that day, don't you? And you can still look back to that. Can I just let you know, this is when you were born. It's not the end, it's the beginning. And God dropped this thing in and said, hey, now it's time to eat. Before salvation, it doesn't, you read it all you want, it doesn't matter, you're not going to understand it. It takes the Holy Spirit. When you come down here and you give your life to Jesus, he says, now get to know me. You obviously got a pretty good understanding of the cross. It's amazing. That's the beginning. You don't understand the cross. But you can start to. 
You obviously have a decent understanding of the empty tomb and what that means for you, but I just want you to know that's the beginning. You don't even begin to get it. That's just the starting place. And you obviously got enough to know that like I, I rose up from there and because I rose up from there, you're coming up from there. And again, that's the beginning. You don't even know what that means yet. And then I'm coming back and like I'm gonna come get you and you know that and that's amazing. It's also the beginning. There's more. We read the content of maybe in that thing that we know, three verses in the Bible. But God says, man, there's a whole story about me and I'm inviting you in. Salvation is the beginning. That's where the growth starts. Can I just be honest? Some of you guys have been in this 30, 40, 50 years now, and you're still sitting around in the cradle wanting somebody once a week to plug a little bottle up in your mouth. If we rolled out a cradle this morning and we had a 30-year-old in it, it'd be the most unnatural thing ever, wouldn't it? No wonder the world looks at us and say we don't make sense. That's weird. 30-year-olds shouldn't need a bottle. It's not that we ever become independent of this. This is where God means for us to live, but it just means that, man, this is one day a week. What are you going to do the other six days? Jesus doesn't just stay here. Some of you guys this year need to say, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab the spoon. <laughs> I'm going to try to feed myself. I'm going to make a mess at first, right? That's what it sounds like to say, I don't understand it. Well, that's great. You're getting food all over you right now. You don't understand it, but you'll figure out how to use that spoon. We'll help you. And then some of you need to progress. And some of you guys this year, you need to start not reading and eating, but walking, right? Now I'm going to take it and I'm going to actually do it. That's great that I'm getting nutrients from it. Now I'm going to live it. Because, man, this is a life cycle. And in verse 3 says, Since you have tasted that the Lord is good. Can we agree with that this morning? God is good. Amen. The most amazing experience for some of you in your Christian life is when you bowed down on an altar somewhere right that's the moment but according to Peter that is a taste that is a taste it's just the beginning but there is a feast before you man I'd hate to look at all this and settle for a spoonful can I just say this year um that if that doesn't change for you, nothing else will. If you don't dive into this in 15 years, you're still going to look exactly the same. You're going to be in your same spot with Jesus. I don't, I don't have any message I can preach that's powerful enough to grow a baby into an adult. I, I can't do that. I don't got any worship songs for that. And if you don't start the hard work of loving this word, you're going to look exactly the same when you leave this planet as you did when you entered it. 
You're going to have side-swiped Jesus but missed the boat. You, you may get to heaven, but man, there's more to today than sitting around and waiting on heaven. There's more to Jesus today than sitting around and waiting until I get there. And a lot of you, if you don't, are going to enter heaven with, man, I wish I would have. Wouldn't that be a shame? The happiest moments of your life as you're ending this journey should be, I'm about to see Jesus. I don't want to be laying in some hospital bed somewhere thinking, I wish I would have. I want to run the race today while I can. And to do that, some of you guys, you have to shed excuses. You got to quit saying, I don't have time, or I don't like to read, or I don't, whatever. Because that's not going to cut it. You're going to stand before him, and you're going to think, man, I didn't even have a glimpse of this. Are you really going to say to him in that moment, I don't like to read? I just didn't have time. That's the epitome of shame. And I don't want to enter heaven with that. I just want to close around the story. Uh, I was saved when I was 11 years old, and I have no doubt in me that that was when I was born spiritually on this planet. I can tell you the moment. I I can take you in this old song. I'm not going there, but I can take you to the place. And my life changed in that moment. I was born onto this planet for the second time. I was brought from death into life in that moment. I was called out of darkness into light in that moment. And for the next 10 years, I walked in the church and around the church. But I didn't know anything about Jesus other than he died on the cross for me, rose up from the grave for me, and he was coming back. I didn't know a thing about him other than that. <laughs> because of that, there was no change in my life other than I, I felt like a Christian filled with shame. Because I professed, man, I know Jesus, but around my friends, I talked worse than they did. I went to a church camp when I was maybe 18, 19 years old, and I saw these people around me who were crying and during worship, and I thought that was the weirdest thing ever. Had their hands up, and I thought, that's so weird. And at first, I played it off as, well, we don't worship like that. It's not something we do at church. But all week long, inside of me, it bothered me because what I really thought was, God, I don't feel that way about you. Why are they crying? I have no idea. Why do they have their hands up? That doesn't even make sense to me. And I tried to be spiritual. And I bowed down, pretended like I was worshiping. I don't even remember what they were singing. And I prayed in that moment, God, if I'm not saved, save me. And if you know what silence sounded like, that's what I heard in that moment. I got up and the silence actually bothered me worse than an answer. I would have rather had your lost, to be honest, because I know how to fix that. I left, 
went back to church. It's easy to move in and around the church and never be convicted because most of the time the church is just like us. Went back the next year, it's the same thing, same prayer. Nothing. Silence. Left. Came back the next year, and it feels like every night it was, God, why do they cry? Why don't why can't I raise my hand? Why don't I feel anything? And I prayed every night. God, if I'm not saved, save me. Nothing. 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 And on the last night, um, the guy, whoever he was, I don't even remember, said, if anybody needs to pray about anything, come to the front and pray. It's like an all-encompassing prayer. So no danger there. Nobody knew what I was praying for. They probably thought, oh, Brad's going to go be a preacher. And Brad thought, I hope I'm going to get saved. Went down to the front, bowed behind a guy, even in that moment, my arrogance made me put my hand on his back to pretend like I was praying for a guy I didn't even know. And I prayed, God, if I'm not saved, you need to tell me right now. Because if I'm not, I'm going to hell. I'm just not okay with that. And in that moment, God broke into the silence. I wouldn't say many moments in my life that I know God spoke, but man, I know in this moment God spoke. And he says, it's not that you're not saved. It's that you don't know anything about me. And if you died and you went to heaven right now, you would spend eternity with somebody you didn't know anything about. It broke my heart. That moment I heard God say, read my word. If you want to know me, read. If you want to know what it feels like to be emotional and to cry over this God, read. If you want to know why people lift their hands, read. There's, there's nothing God's holding back from you. You're holding it back from yourself. God's not withholding his spirit and his power and his love and his presence from you. You're just sitting there waiting on somebody to come and drop it in. I'll just be honest with you, church. If you want to see a change in your life, you learn to love this word. I say learn to love it because for most of us, it's going to be a pain to open it the first time. You're going to read it and you're going to think, what in the world does that say? And the next day, you're going to read it and you're going to say, what in the world does that say? And it's not going to make sense at the beginning, probably. It didn't for me. But I looked at it like a labor of love. Jesus, I love you, so I will read. God, I want you, so I will read. Can I just say that, man, I wouldn't trade you anything for this. Standing here today, nine years later, I wouldn't trade you anything for this. You could take my life, but you cannot take this. I love this word. I heard a lady one time and did something in me. She said, God, I just prayed, God, help me love this word. God, help me love this book. And I started praying that prayer. God, help me to love it. Help me to love it. Help me to love it. I do today. You want to see God do something that you could never expect in your life. You pour your life into this. You learn to love this. 
to the truth is in John chapter 1 it says what in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God just a few verses later it says and the word was made flesh and he dwelt among us if you want to know and love Jesus you have to start with the word if you want to know and love God, you've got to start with this because all of his personality is in these pages. All that he likes and he dislikes is in this book. All of his love for you is contained on these pages. This is his letter to you. This is his thoughts to you. This is his heart for you. This is his desire for you. And you'll never be in the will of God until you're in the word of God. For some of you today, what that means is today. You need to commit to God. I will read whether I like it or not. You spend so much time on the internet reading, you cannot say you don't like to read. God, today I commit, I will read. Not the verse of the day, but God, I will throw my life into these pages and I will let you take care of the rest. For some of you today, you read, but you don't love the Word of God. You, you read it because you have to, because it's a duty, because it's an obligation. And thank God. Thank God we can start with a habit. But we need to transform that into, God, I love this book. And today, some of you guys need to pray, God, help me to love this book. But can I just say, maybe for some of you today, you heard that and you're like, I don't know if I know Jesus. I, I could read his word, but I have no idea. You got to start with a taste. It didn't say read and see that the Lord is good. It says taste and see that the Lord is good. Today, before you know anything, Jesus can come into your heart. And until he does that, you can read this all you want, but you'll never understand it until the author sets in your heart and reads it to you. Let's pray.